Hey everybody, welcome to the Community is Our Middle Name podcast, probably brought to you by Grampage Community Health. My name's Gareth Oliver. Thank you for coming along for another week to listen to another one of our episodes. This week, with Men's Health Week coming up, we actually do something a little bit different. I handed the reins over to Kate Asprey, and Kate actually talked to me, instead of me talking to her, about my mental health issues that I've had over the years, my living with depression and anxiety, and uh, some of the, uh, let's say, less than stellar parts of, of my life that, that have occurred due to my depression and anxiety and how I live with it. So I hope you find it interesting. Um, that's something I'm actually quite happy to talk about. And Kate also talks a bit about some of her battles with depression as well, because no two people uh, who have depression or mental illness necessarily have it the same. It's, it's very, very varying and very, very wide ranging. It's a spectrum really. So I hope you uh, hope you get something out of it. Um, and I hope that uh, hope you enjoy it. We do touch on the themes of self-harm and suicide a bit. So if you are troubled by this, or if you are, you know, feeling, contemplating suicide, call Lifeline 13114. That's 13114. This is the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health, for you, your family, and of course, for our community. This week, Kate Asprey is joining me again on the podcast. We're going to do something a little bit different. Last time Kate was on, I was firing questions at her. But this week, with Men's Health Week coming up, Kate is going to actually fire some questions at me, and I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience with anxiety and depression over the years. And uh, we're going to talk a bit about the stats and figures. So, Kate, thank you for, for coming on again. I'll hand it over to you now. No worries, Gareth. Thank you. And the tables have turned, so we'll see how we go. For those listening, forgive me if I'm a little bit clunky. I'm obviously not as good at this as Gareth, but we'll see how we go. When I started, we had this conversation. Both Gareth and I have had um, experience with depression, pretty different experiences, but it just sparked a conversation between us that we thought that we'd be happy to share. But for those listening, I just wanted to paint a picture of what we're looking at. And these are all Victorian stats. So one in three Victorians will experience mental health condition every year. That's 20% of our population. 45% of Victorians will experience mental illness in their lifetime. Almost 25% of Victorians report that they have a diagnosis of anxiety or depression from their GP. One in seven report feeling high to very high psychological distress. It's higher in females by about 10%. One in six Victorian students, which is about 18% of our kids aged 5, 8 and 11 who were part of this survey, experience psychological distress. It's terrible to think that our young people are feeling like this. Those diagnosed with depression or anxiety, it's pretty, there's nothing that really bounces out in the age groups between 18 and 84. But when we get to 85, males stand out significantly. That's a real problem area 
for that age group. Um, and the lifetime prevalence of anxiety and depression, uh, those being supported by the GP, increased significantly between 2003 and 2006. So this is something that's rising in our community and that we're all living with it. If we're not living with it, people that we know and love are living with it on a day-to-day basis. So today I just thought we would have a chat to Gareth about his experience and I'm more than happy to chuck my experience in as well and hopefully we can help people understand what it's like for those that haven't experienced it and for those who have, um, maybe the shared experience will make them feel they're not alone in it. So Gareth, when when in your life did you feel that you were first, ha- your mental health was, was failing a little? Uh, well, I can speak to, to my first breakdown, which was 2005. But it's funny you ask that question, Kate, because looking back now as a, you know, as a, as a guy in his 40s who got diagnosed in my mid-20s with depression and anxiety, I can look back to stuff when I was a teenager and pick bits and pieces out and say, okay, this now makes sense. This is why I did what I did there or why I reacted the way I did. My first first actual uh, mental sort of breakdown, I'll use the word breakdown because it's really what it was, was 2000 and, 2004 or 2005. I'm pretty sure it was 2005. I was living away from home and I just saw something, I think I saw something on TV and it just... It just triggered something in, in my brain. Maybe it was some repressed trauma or something. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, and I just, I just spiraled very quickly. I went from going to work every day and then doing what I was doing and enjoying my job and living my life to not being able to leave the house. I would lay on the floor all day and barely be able to move. Uh, couldn't, couldn't go out. I remember, I did drag myself out of the house one day and went to the, the plaza in Horsham and it was, the, the paranoia, uh, was incredible. Like I thought everyone knew something was wrong with me and everyone was talking about it and people were laughing about it. And this carried on until probably, I was probably really bad for, like that for a month. Took some time off work, you know, tried to straighten myself out and eventually went to the, to the GP. And, and got diagnosed and got put on uh, medication, which was helpful and, and provided me with some clarity. But also, back in those days, there was still a bit of a stigma around it. And people would, would say, you know, oh, you take your, take your medication and then you'll be right. You'll be able to get off it. And we, we didn't re- realize necessarily back then that sometimes you were going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. And it is something I have to live with for the rest of my life and I've had ups and downs that we'll probably get into later. Um, but it's just something that you have, I've had to learn to manage. So yeah, I've, I've been dealing with it, with it, living with the diagnosis for what would that be about 17 years. Yeah. Long time. So at that time you, you'd virtually withdrawn from your life, your working life and your private life. Yep. Um, saw a GP, got prescribed some medication. Was that was that the only thing you used to help get yourself out of the depression, or did you use other strategies? No, no, I, I tried other things. Um, I, I I tried to avoid stuff on TV or uh, things in the newspaper that that I thought might 
you know, might affect my mood. Uh, I started exercising, which I probably should start again for <laughs> multiple reasons. Um, because, you know, the, the link between physical health and mental health has been proven. And I, and I sort of just went back to basics. I went home for a while and, and stayed with mum for a while and, um, sort of got myself back on my feet and, and I had a, had a, you know, some good support around me, which was really helpful too. I don't know how, well, I do know how hard it is to, to go through it without support because I've, I've, I've done that too. Maintaining a support network and, and trying to not get too caught up in what was happening in my head, trying to not dwell on the, the negative stuff that you, you know that you don't want to think about, but you just you just automatically do it. You just go to that dark place, whether you want to or not. So it was trying to to avoid that and and do things that that would help me get back to some semblance of of uh, you know air quotes normality. My my experience was pretty different to yours, as like the people who suffer this sort of thing. Their experiences can be very diverse. So I worked with people post at the, after the Mount Lubra fire on the bushfire recovery. So I worked really closely with people who were seriously impacted and, um, were, were traumatized. And it came, I was doing that at a point in my own life where I was probably a little bit vulnerable and my resilience was a bit lower and, and it had an impact on me. I can remember driving to work one day. And having the realization that this mood wasn't lifting and I was actually in a lot of trouble. I needed to get some help. So I'm off to the GP, a bit the same story as yours. So it was probably more an environmental thing. I would think my experience. So, and I, I used the support of the medication for about five years. And during that time, I developed some strategies, a bit like you. You know what to stay away from. You know what triggers you. And yeah, I managed to get myself off the medication and I have been since, but I'm very mindful about what I do and what I avoid because it, if you're, do you feel sometimes that it just sits there? It's just mm-hmm. kind of at your shoulder. It's never too far away. Yeah. I remember seeing a great quote and I don't know who it was from. Um, because there was the famous quote from Winston Churchill about the, the barking black dog of depression. And I think I actually read this in an article, uh, maybe it was on the ABC or in age many years ago. What it's like living with it isn't necessarily, once you've taken all those steps, you, you know, you're seeing your GP, you're talking to people, you're, you're doing things for yourself and for your mental health. It's not necessarily so much the barking, big barking black dog. It's, it's more sort of, you have that little grey yapping dog in the back of your head that you can tune out, but it's still there. It's still always there. And it may not necessarily be, you know, that, that big weight that's on your shoulders, but it is something you, you always have it as, you know, in the back of your mind. And you always got to be on guard for to, to not slip back. Um, you know, there's a, there's a line from a, a song by Ben Folds Five where he says, always at my best because God knows I've seen my worst. And that's the mentality you sort of have to take. You have to try and, what, well, this is for me you know, and this is what works for me. It, like you said, it's very, very different for everybody. If, if you allow yourself, if I allow myself to get back into some of those places that I've been to in the past 15 or so years, there's a lot at stake, not just for myself, but for my family, for my kids, you know, for, for friends and work colleagues and whatever. And you have to sort of, Sometimes be a bit selfish and make sure you get yourself right first before you can think about the other people who you 
you, you might care about. So, yeah, it, it's a thing that is ongoing. It's a thing I'll live with until, you know, till they, they, they take me out feet first. But it's about, for me, it's about managing it and not, and, and I've learned from my past. I've learned from mismanagement on my behalf, uh, in the past, what not to do. So some, you know, mistakes aren't necessarily a bad thing. Mistakes can be a good thing because they can be a good learning tool. And that's what I've discovered is that it was a good learning tool for me to make some of these mistakes and think now, oh, okay, you know, don't fall back into that trap again. Mm. So that's that's sort of what I do. So the, I, I can remember reading the um, Winston Churchill's Black Dog and it it resonates with a lot of people. It actually, it didn't with me. I just felt that I was in a hole and I was at risk of slipping further into the hole and there was that fear that I would never get out. So I think that's what kind of triggered me. So there are times when I measure my mental health against my buoyancy within that hole and that's when I know that I need to, to change change things, change external influences and, you know, I sometimes I say to myself, you know, come on, you need to get yourself together, girl, get out of this and, and get going again. So that was your first episode around 2005 and you got yourself on track and moving forward for a good period of time? Yeah, for a few years um, until uh, probably fell back into a, a hole again, sort of 2008-ish. Um, and that was, that was really dark. That was, that was almost as bad, I think, because I was living on my own at the time and, you know, I, I was, you had all that extra pressure of, that, that everyone has in life. You've got bills and you've got to, you know, you've got to put food on the table and, and you, you've got work and all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I really fell back into a really bad spot. Uh, I had some stuff happening in my personal life that, that sort of triggered it back again. And one of the things that I can I can vividly remember is uh, I, I wouldn't get out of bed, for starters. I had days where I'd go to bed at 8 o'clock at night and stay in bed till 6.30 the following night. Just couldn't get out of bed. Um, and that, you know, that's not laziness. That's just that lack of motivation. You think, what's the point? What, um, and not eating as well. I remember one of my aunties coming and sitting with me uh, for half an hour while I ate a cheese sandwich because I hadn't eaten anything. I didn't feel like eating. That was, yeah, that was hard. And a lot of my, my friends as well maybe didn't necessarily understand um, because it wasn't something that they had been through or they may have been through it but didn't necessarily realise what they had been through. So uh, there was a lot of that, you know, come on, you'll be right, cheer up sort of stuff, which isn't helpful. It's like no, it's telling, not. Yeah. It's like telling someone with a broken leg, come on, you'll be right, go for a run. Yeah, it's the old um, pull your socks up attitude. Yeah. 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 And I, I had, have had a few comments like that made to me and you just look at people and think, you have, you have got no idea and yet you think you're in a position to, to make these trite comments. They're actually not helpful at all and no. lack understanding. Yeah. I mean, if it was as easy as just someone saying, oh, come on, cheer up, you go, oh, cool, yeah, cheer up. I hadn't thought of that. Um, <laughs> You know that that would be that would be easy, but it's not that easy. It's you know, like I, like I said, it's like telling someone who's got a broken leg to go and run a marathon. You know, it's just you wouldn't do it, but because 
that's something you can see if someone's got their, their leg in a cast. You can see they've got a broken leg. You can't see what's going on inside someone else's head, essentially. And and quite often people um, with anxiety, depression, are very good at putting on a veneer so that, you know, they put the face on, like the, the day face on, so that they can function with their family, with their kids, with their work, and then when no one's around and the, the mask comes down, I felt like that for a while, that I was just going through the motions and, and doing the functions that was needed. But I kind of felt like I was an, an observer in my own life. I was observing more than rather than participating. And it made me feel more distant from people that I should have been close to. 2008, how long did your second episode last for? Uh, a few months. A few months. I had... Uh, had bit of time away from from work and um of course i think at the time my mum had, had moved away um uh, so i was probably more on my own that time um so it lasted a few months and it took me a long time to to get get back on track from that and um yeah that was that was my second one that was that was really hard that was and it's uh, I, I don't mind talking about this stuff because, you know, Men's Health Week, I think it's important for, well, every week it's important to talk about, you know, our health, physical and mental. But it is hard to relive it at times when you, you get that that feeling again of what it was like of, you know, laying there just staring at the ceiling and, you know, not wanting to do anything and not even wanting to really be be existing you know, because that's all, all you're sort of doing is you're just existing, and and you, you think, well, why? Why am I? Why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? It's, you know, is it is it worth it? So yeah, that took a while to get out of. But um, you know, once once some of my friends sort of understood a bit more and and, and got around me a bit, that really helped. So I think for, you know anyone listening, stay in touch with people who are who are having issues with depression and anxiety. Um, cause at the, like now my anxiety is probably much worse than what my depression is. You know, so that you're right. They, they talk about, so the major influences on your mental health relate to the aspects of our life that are social, economic, environmental, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the isolation and loneliness. We actually are a herd animal and we don't function very well when we're disconnected. Um, you made a comment where you asked, you were asking yourself whether it was worth it. Yeah. During that, did you ever have any thoughts of self-harm during that time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you do. And, you know, I hope mum doesn't listen to this because she'll panic. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah, you, you, of course you do. You, and you, you think that no one will care, no one will miss you. You know, even though the rational part of your mind says, yes, people will miss you, that irrational part of your mind says, well, no, they'd probably be better off because you're a burden and, you know, you're just making people worry and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, there were, there was, there were times when you sort of think, you know, you go to that really dark place. Not super often, which is good because it's not a nice place to be in. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's part and parcel of it, I think, unfortunately. It is. And we need to be mindful that like a, most people at some point in their life will have some sorts of suicide or self-harm. Mm. But there's a there's a difference between the thought and a plan. Yeah, yeah. And I think people are, are in that planning phase and they're very deep into it. I, it might be very hard to talk them 
around, but you got to do it. You got to try. You got to try and talk to people and, and just let them know that they're valued and they're supported. And you know, it, it does make a difference. It really does make a difference to know that people actually give a shit. And if you if you are worried about somebody, ask them the question. Ask mm-hmm. them if they are thinking of hurting themselves. And you'll find that most people will be honest. And, and then if, if the answer is yes, ask them about what's, you know, do you have a plan? Mm. And what's stopping you from implementing that plan? And then talk to people about the protective factors that are keeping them here, like, you know, their, their families, their job, the things in their life that they value. And yeah. then get some assistance for them by all means. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing with um, one of the messages from AUOK Day is it's not just that one day to say, hey, how are you going? It's to start a conversation that you continue and you keep checking in with your friends and family and you keep checking in to make sure they're okay and you keep saying, you know, if you need anything, come and talk to me. Or, And that's probably been hard for people the last couple of years because we have been more isolated through no one's fault. But I think it's it's an important message to get across is communication is so important. And if people, even if people don't want to talk, if you just want to go, just go and sit with someone for half an hour, even something like that can make a person feel, you know, wanted. Yeah, it takes a world of difference. We often use the expression it takes a village in relation to children, but it actually Mm. takes a village for everybody. Everybody needs to feel valued. Everyone needs to feel connected. And we can all play a part in that, either small or large. So if we get to, um, you got through your second episode. Yep. And where did you, how did you progress from there? I managed as best I could, um, until my last probably major break there was 2010. And I remember this because I was living in other, I was living interstate and that, um, combination of being away from home, um, lifestyle and work stresses, isolation from not really knowing anyone. And also I didn't trust any of the doctors other than the one I'd been seeing forever. So I stopped going to the doctors and that meant that I wasn't taking medication, which in hindsight was not my greatest moment. And I really noticed the difference. As soon as I got home, I went and saw the GP I'd been seeing for a number of years here in Ararat and, and, and sorted myself out pretty quick. Okay. So did you come home from yes. where you were? Yeah, I was in Darwin. Um, and was up there for about 12 months and finished up my, my job I was doing up there and came home. Okay. So all in all, how many, um, episodes have you had like that, Gareth? Major ones like that, three. Okay. Um, some smaller ones, you know, over the years as well, and often that's been work-related, and that's, you know, part of the stresses of life, I think. Um, you know, work for some people can be stressful, depending on what job you're doing. But the job I'm doing at the moment is is not, thankfully. Uh, you know, and and life can be, can be stressful. The cost of living... Is stressful if you're in a low income position, you know, especially nowadays. Petrol's so expensive, food's expensive, and it makes it really tough. And all these things, it's it's like a, a weight added onto a, a scale, and it just tips the scale in one direction when we really want it to be even if we can. And yeah, stuff like that really does really does influence your mental health. 
And so earlier I mentioned that there'd been a, a measurable increase in diagnosis of depression and anxiety in our population from 2003 to 2016, which mm. is possibly a reflection of this modern living. At Grampians Community Health, we noticed um, an increase in people who were presenting at our agencies under psychological distress during COVID because of the, you know, the fear of, of becoming unwell and what that would mean for them, um, their job security, their economic sort of stuff, the isolation that they weren't seeing people as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they're reflected in the stats in the future. Mm, I think we'll see a jump, and I'm not sure of the stats. I haven't had a chance to look it up, but um, I think we we will see a jump. In fact, I can speak anecdotally. I had a I had a client um, in my previous role here at GCH who's had a daughter who worked for uh, Headspace, and during the lockdowns, first few lockdowns, the, the moment they walked into the office, the moment they left, the phone didn't stop ringing. It was just, uh, it was incredible. And we've seen a rise in young people in particular uh, who have not, I'm going to talk young people, I mean school-age kids, who not only have that fear of, you know, we were all worried about getting COVID and and all, you know, passing it to, to grandma and something happening, but also they've missed out on a lot of the social stuff over the last two years with all the, the remote learning and the, the lack of things like, Team sports, and so you combine those two, and, and we've seen a real, as you, as I think you, you said in one of your stats, we've seen a real spike in uh, young people presenting with with issues. In some of the reading I did quickly this morning on the Department of Health website, Victoria, it actually specifically mentions um, climate change having an impact on the mental health of young people because that, mm. you know, some kids are at the age where their logical brain is and their emotional brain are at different levels of a maturity. So they can't understand, you know, they struggle to understand what their future could and will look like with climate change. So, um, yeah, they're kind of being hammered from all sides. You mentioned earlier in your first episode of being unwell that your friends didn't really fully understand what you were experiencing. Um, and you also mentioned that you had a, a loving aunt who sat with you while you ate your sandwich. Through those years, what's your experience been of people understanding mental illness and also having a willingness to talk about it openly? From from then to now, it's almost like night and day. Um, it wasn't something you really talked about, even you know, back in the the late the, the early two thousands through to you know the early two thousand tens. It was a thing that was around and, you know, you, you've, you've heard of people having it, but you, I didn't understand it at first either. I didn't get it. I just thought it was people feeling a bit sad. Or one of the phrases that we used to hear was, um, it's, it's, it's anger without the enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard that. And there, there wasn't that understanding of it. And that was, you know, family and friends. I remember, I remember mum saying to me, she was the one who said, oh, once you've had the medication, you'll be right. You won't need it anymore. And it was actually an ex-girlfriend of mine who said to me about getting off medication. She said, well, think about it this way. If you had a heart condition, would you stop mm. taking heart medication? And I said, well, no, absolutely not. She said, well, this is the same thing. I've seen the understanding now, and I think this is also because we've had higher profile people like a lot of athletes and a lot of, you know, artists and actors and musicians come out over the years 
and and talk openly about the issues that they've had as well. And we're seeing a lot of places now, compared to 15 years ago, be a lot more proactive and a lot more open about dealing with mental health. And and high-profile places like Kate, you know, you're, you're some the three-time premiership player for Richmond, and I'm sure he saw the difference in the way that it's treated in football clubs compared to back when he started, you know, all those years ago. And we're seeing that in the wider society. I think the more it's spoken about by higher-profile people, the, the more open societies become to talk about it. And I think we're, we're quite good now at speaking about it, whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago we weren't. I think we have got better. I still believe we've got a long way to go. There was a report that was done oh, probably 10 or 12 years ago by SANE Australia um, surveying people who suffered mental illness, more than anxiety, more than the high prevalence stuff, like serious mental illness in well, as well. And they reported that... Um, the majority of stigma that they were experienced, they experienced was from people who worked in and around the sector. So people who should know better. Mm. So that, I, I remember reading that and finding that really disappointing. But, um, even in my own experience, in, I can remember when I was first diagnosed, you know, there's this kind of auto shame that came with it that, there's something fundamentally wrong with me, that, that I'm flawed, that I need to keep this a secret. Yeah. So you fast forward to where we are now. Our timelines are pretty much the same. I don't give a hoot. Who knows? Yeah. Um, if you look at the stats, I'm just an average Victorian trying to do their best with what I've got. And um, I really don't care. I also had a friend who was diagnosed and wouldn't take the medication for that shame thing and I can remember sitting with her and thinking I don't understand this if you had a kidney disease and the doctor prescribes you a medication would you take it and she said of course I would I said well why is this tell me why this is different we almost have this historical perception around you know what was termed once lunacy yeah and it's I mean it's 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 incredible how how little thought we gave to the health of our of our brain, essentially, because that's what it is, it's the health of our brain, which is just another part of our body, even though it's you know, an extremely important part. We, we now know a lot more about it. We now can think a lot more about, about it. We can now do things to, you know, in work environments and stuff like that or in our home environments to manage it better. And it's funny you talk about the, the stigma because I think about, you know, Places like Grampians Community Health, where, you know, we offer counselling and stuff like that. Those sort of places have the, had or have entrances was, was the back door. People would go into the back door to seek help because there was that stigma about it all those years ago. Whereas now it's, you know, it's much more open. If you're going to, to talk to someone about your issues, you know, I think people are more, are more okay to talk about it. Maybe not go in depth, but they're, they're okay to talk a bit more about it than what they once were. Mm. I certainly hope they feel a lot more safer about it. When we talk about strategies, you know, when you when you identify that you could be at risk of, you know, on the slide again, what sort of things do you do to flick it around and keep yourself up and buoyed? Uh, I change some of my habits. I, I, and this is going to sound weird, seeing I work in social media, but I avoid social media. Social media is a double-edged sword. 
it can be wonderful. Like we at Grampians Community Health use it to get our messages out there and, and get our programs out there. But there's a lot of stuff on there that um, can draw you down those negative rabbit holes. And so it's, it's avoiding stuff like that. Uh, it's being active and it's doing things that you enjoy. Um, taking that time as well, I think everyone, regardless of, of whether you have mental health issues or not, needs to take time, slow down, take time, just do something that you, you really love for a little while or just just sit down and chill out and watch Netflix, you know. Just take that time to, to relax and let the, the weight lift off your shoulders. So I do I do a lot of that sort of stuff. I do a lot of stuff with, with my kids as well and that really that releases a lot of the positive endorphins yeah. uh, in my head. So, um, yeah, it's basically just going back to, to what I enjoy doing and and trying to fill my head with these positive things to, to push the negative back to the side. I'm a bit the same. I The first thing I'm mindful of is alcohol. I'm certainly not a crying drunk or anything, but I just don't think it's – if you're not good, it's not good for your thinking – or your physicality. Well, so it's a depressant. Yeah. Yeah. I I also do things that I really love. So I'll I'll get up in the morning and I'll spend half an hour in the garden before I go to work, and it just kind of sets me up really good for the for the day. I like to be in in the bush, you know, bush walking, barbecues, picnics, getting wood, that sort of thing. And I think the the physical fatigue that comes with that is is good for me too. Makes me sleep really well. I make sure that I'm connected with my friends. A um, bit like you, I avoid um, anything on the, the telly or social media or even music that has a, a little bit of a, a darkness to it. So I move away from some styles of music. Um, and I, always, I like to – I have a couple of really good friends that I just put my story with where I feel safe and I can be really honest with them and say I'm not kind of tracking so well. And there's a lot of truth in um, a problem shared is a problem halved, I think. If you feel that you can share that with someone, it, it actually makes me feel a lot better. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, and we've, we've talked a bit that um, communication is so vital, so vital. And, it, you know, that, that lack of communication, that isolation, that loneliness is really one of the big things that can push people over yeah. over that edge. And that's exactly that's what happens. You you sort of fall over the edge. And I think that it's probably has a huger impact on the older part of our population. Like, you know, you go through the transition. I've gone through the transition of empty nesting and you know, like my parents they didn't see as much of their kids and their grandkids probably as they would have liked. You know, their friends age and they're less mobile, so they do less visiting. And so as we get older, we've really got to be conscious about how we stay connected to keep ourselves as well as we can. Yeah, which is one of the beautiful things about technology, though, is, you know, you and I are recording this over, over Teams. We're doing this like a – and one of the things that we did during the pandemic was we would get our, our kids to read their school readers to family and friends over FaceTime. And that's a great way to, to stay involved. So when I said social media is a double-edged sword, that's, I mean, I, I mean that sincerely. I, I, there's some wonderful things to, with social media. It's great to be connected and, and see what your friends and family are up to and to use things like FaceTime to, to have a chat. Yeah. And, and I think if we can use for more positive things like that, 
I think the whole world would be a better place, to be honest. Yeah, no, I think you're right. At um, Grampians Community Health, we had a number of groups, that social groups that had to stop during COVID. And the members of this group, they got to the point where they were really missing one another, but they also weren't seeing other people. So we got them all linked up with um, iPads and taught them how to use it and how to connect. And so they were doing their group meetings virtually which was a new thing for them. It was a new thing for us to set up too. But it, it it maintained an important fabric that made these people feel connected. Yeah, and that's so important, I think, for for everyone, um, regardless of your your age or social status or anything. It, it doesn't discriminate. It will hit anyone of any age, any race, you know, any gender. You know, like I said, it's, it's Men's Health Week coming up and, um, unfortunately we do see higher rates of mental health issues and suicide amongst young people in regional Victoria, especially young men. It's one of the biggest killers of young men in regional areas. So I think that can, that connectedness, whether it, it's catching up with someone for a coffee or at the football or even over FaceTime, I think it's so important that we maintain that and we don't live in our little silos. So how would you describe um, life for Gareth living with anxiety and depression now? Uh, it's probably, probably anxiety gives me more grief nowadays. I have, I do have times where it, it, it's, it's quite hard to, to get out and do things. I really struggle uh, to go places sometimes when I know there's going to be lots of people I don't know, big crowds. Uh, I remember an all-staff day we had at Grampians Community Health and I really struggled at that. Uh, my anxiety was through the roof and, you know, full credit, some of the staff came and took me out and took me aside and, you know, and, and made sure I was okay, which was, which was fantastic. I sort of look at it now as I can't let these things dictate my life. I have too much in my life to let, you know, let my, my mental health dictate what I do and don't do. And especially when it comes to my kids. I, you know, as you know, Kate, you, you put things aside and you, you do what you, whatever you can do for your kids. And that's probably a good thing because, you know, I can, I have to put aside that anxiety sometimes and say, no, this is something that the kids will enjoy, something they want to do. So let's go and do it. And, you know, generally works out okay. So no, I'm, I'm I think I'm traveling okay at the moment. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, I've, I've seen, um, I've seen some pretty dark places and I, um, I do my best to avoid them. Okay. What advice would you give for someone who finds themselves in the same situation, but really early, much earlier in the timeline to you? Get help. Go see your GP uh, or go talk to a counsellor. Give us a call, 53587400. We have journalist counsellors available here at Grampians Community Health, and I'm not just saying that to plug the place that I work for. I'm... Uh, Talking to someone genuinely helps. And even if you can't get into a GP or a counsellor, talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to somebody you feel comfortable talking to and just just make that connection. Get out there, get active and get on top of it before it gets on top of you. So other than counselling programs, we also have some community-based mental health programs for people who um, are all along the mental health spectrum from serious mental illness all the way down. So... There would be some support for you if you need it. And what advice would you give to someone who thought one of their mates or family was not tracking so well? Check in, talk to them, 
go around and visit them, knock on the door, give them a phone call, hit them up on FaceTime, and and ask ask the question. Say, hey, listen, are you are you doing okay? Do you want to have a chat? Let's go out and have a coffee. You know, make sure you stay in touch with them and and just let them feel, let them know that they are appreciated, that they there are people out there who care. Because it goes a long way. It goes a, a massive way to to get that those those calls or those messages from people, you know, just to check in and, and see how you're doing. It really does. That really does help. No, I think that's good advice. Um, well, I hope we've gone a fair way today to, to to tell pieces of our story, and I hope it's resonated with someone and might make a difference. I think the message I'd like to give people is while. Um, our experiences have been different. It's There's been times where it's been terrible and it's not pleasant, but when you get to a point where you are on top of it and manage it, life is actually really good, really good. So yep. stay well, everybody. Reach out to a friend if you need to and take care. Once again, thank you to Kate Asprey for stepping in and taking over the reins of this week's podcast so I could uh, get my story out, I guess. And, you know, once again, if anybody is troubled by anything they might have heard or is having suicidal or self-harming thoughts, please call Lifeline 13114. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Grampians Community Health offers a wide range of services across Western Victoria, including in the following local government areas, Northern Grampian Shire, Arrow Rural City, Horsham Rural City, Pyrenees Shire, West Wimmera Shire, Hindmarsh Shire, Yarriambiak Shire, Central Goldfield Shire, Southern Grampian Shire and Bullock Shire Council areas. Services available include alcohol and other drug support, carer support, community aged care and disability support, including NDIS support coordination and plan management, counselling across a wide range of sectors, including, as you heard in the podcast, journalist counselling, Gambler's Help, Community Mental Health Support, and much more. For more information, head to gch.org.au or contact us Monday to Friday, business hours on 53587400. Or you can visit us on site in Ararat, Stall or Horsham. We have offices in each of those towns. It's our main office anyway. You can make appointments to meet some of our staff in other areas if you'd like. This podcast and all our podcasts are available to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Podbean, anywhere you find your podcasts, uh, Audible, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, tune in anywhere you find good podcasts, you can find this one. So uh, I encourage you to subscribe and uh, have a listen to some of the other episodes. And if you if you do subscribe, you'll get every episode directly onto your listening device, whether it's your phone or if you listen on a desktop or however you listen, uh, you don't want to miss an episode. You can follow Grandpids Community Health on social media. So we are facebook.com slash Grandpids Community Health or at Grandpids Community Health on Facebook. And we are at GCH Grampians on Instagram and Twitter. So give us a follow on there as well and uh, keep up with what's happening in our local areas. The intro and outro music of this show is an original composition recorded by Andrew Parsons specifically for this podcast, and we use it with his permission. So thank you again for that, Andrew. 
And this podcast was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Jabberwong people. And we'd like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. So I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this podcast. I hope you took something away from it. And don't be afraid if you need to go and talk to someone or you need to seek out help. Don't be afraid. Get out there and do it. Make an appointment with your GP or even just catch up with friends and family, someone who might have a sympathetic ear, go out for coffee, go out and, and catch up at the park and go for a walk or whatever you whatever works for you. We can't ignore our mental health and we really need to be mindful of it, especially after the battering it's really taken over the last few years for all of us. So my name is Gareth Oliver. I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. It's brought to you by Grandpa's Community Health, and we'll be back again next week with another episode. So until then, so long.